This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm very happy to be joined by my good friend and co-host, Sam. And in this episode, we are discussing The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky. And so most startup stories describe the most romantic parts of a venture, from starting in a garage or a college dorm to successfully doing a multi-billion dollar IPO. Scott Belsky, who is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, chief product officer at Adobe and product advisor to many of today's top startups, goes about it differently. He dedicates this book to the messy middle, the middle stretch, which is the least talked about, but probably the most important part of any venture. After finishing the book, I reflected upon it and I found that the title was quite fitting as I found it a very messy book. Uh, There was not a lot of structure, but after looking at some summaries, it's actually broken into three sections, which is endure, optimize and finish. And so yeah, basically endure the roller coaster of successes and failures, optimize what's working and then finish strong. In my notes, I have a list of a lot of lessons, but first I'd like to have your opinions on the book. Yeah, I think I was similar to you in terms of it takes some reflection to really get the most out of it. It's like, it's just lots of different things coming at you in the book and there's loads of like good pieces of advice, but it's, it's not structured in such a way that you intuitively just remember it as in like some books are really well written for like to make you learn like the thing it's trying to teach you. Whereas this is like good ideas after, after another and, and just a mess, but like there's, there's lots of good ideas in it. It is a really useful book if you kind of make sure you like sit and take them, which I didn't do the best job of. So like a few weeks later now, I'm kind of like, yeah, there was stuff. I remember like a lot of the time it's been like, this is good. And now it's kind of mostly gone, which is why it's good to like review. What I did like uh, about this book is that it uses a shit ton of examples. And so every point that it makes, it talks about quite thoroughly and it really makes you understand the point and gives a few good examples that really make the point itself. Definitely. I kind of almost forget that the examples are to do with the book, if you know what I mean. Like, I think I have remembered more than I realized, but if I try and think about the book, I don't remember things. But like when like the problem comes up, I'm like, oh yeah. And so this thing happened at Facebook and, and be able to like tell the story a bit better. Yeah. And what I actually found is the previous book that we read was The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. A lot of the examples were in like a SaaS B2B world. And so I did not know many of the companies that he described. And so in this book, it was more B2C. So he built products and he compared it a lot to Photoshop and these kind of things. And so many of the examples I found more approachable because I knew the products or the companies that he was describing, which was pretty nice. All right, some of the lessons. So I think the first lesson that Scott Belsky makes is rewards small things. And so what he says is like, after you entered or exited the ideation phase and you're this you know brand new idea of how you're going to change the world and this new venture that you're setting up in the beginning it can get quite difficult to like have good news because you're constantly looking to find success getting your first customers and getting the first people to pay for your product can take a while because in that period you can have a lot of issues with team morale so if someone quits their well-paying tech job to join you on your adventure behind a crazy idea how to change the world if you're not getting any positive feedback and if you don't believe that what you're doing is going somewhere it can get pretty hard on your mental And so what he suggests is that you kind of create milestones 
which are not necessarily the typical venture milestones, like certain amount of revenues or a certain number of customers or big sales or whatever. And he suggests getting user feedback, see that as a milestone and celebrate it. And so obviously there's a balance to be found there, but I found that pretty interesting because I've been in the situation where you're like struggling and it's important. I think to set yourself reachable milestones and also once in a while celebrate what you've already achieved because even learning what is the wrong thing to do is learning and moving forward. And I think that's something that people often forget about. Yeah, it's really good. I think there's quite a few benefits that come from this besides like the initial surface level of like morale because you got to celebrate something. It one makes you sit down and make sure you structure a path of like small things to do because I find when you kind of have like one big goal or like you try and shoot something really big you fail and like you sort of always always just gets extended and things and you kind of need to have much smaller things that you just actually get done to make sure you're always delivering on the important things so it's really useful for that and then I do think it it is like a really long process trying to get to like the big thing that you're going for and you sort of you're not sure you kind of just burn out if you try and do too much all the time always whereas if you do have like defined like okay we reached this bit let's have a day off and celebrate you kind of recharge in that way because of people think about like you know, the amount of time spent working as opposed to the amount of like output energy that you can do. And if you do sort of use your energy wisely, you can get like a lot more output than you can if you just try and output all the time. And so this helps you like actually maintain like actual output of the team by sort of keeping the energy up and knowing when you should sort of stop and like recharge and like rethink about your sort of directions you're constantly sort of realigning on like the most important things to be doing and having some time to recharge so yeah it's a really useful point yeah i think if you're in the early stages of a startup one of the main things you're doing is you're checking assumptions you're made and you're seeing if one assumption you made which is for example the product market fit is true and i think having some time for reflection on what you've learned is essential i like to make the comparison with sports and working out like if you're working out it's not while you're working out that your body is adapting and you're actually becoming better at whatever you're doing it is in the rest periods between your workout sessions that your body adapts um, and i think it, it might be the same in ventures especially in the early stages where reflecting on what we've done what you've done and what you've learned is probably more important than talking to people itself because as you do you're on the phone 24 7 almost you're saying once in a while you need to stand still and reflect on what you did it's the same with reading the books that we're doing right if you just read a book finish it start the next one and you don't do what we're doing which is trying to gather our thoughts and our opinions on it if you do these things you get so much more out of it yeah 100 because that's the opportunity to kind of restructure how you do things and improve otherwise if you're not doing something right you'll just continuously just not be doing it right if you don't stop and reflect on these things Cool. Good point. One of the next points that stuck with me was uh, the point of killing your darlings. And I think this might be useful for you as well. And so we talked about when you're building a product, at some point you, you start with an MVP and then you start adding features. And at some point he says, uh, you should start subtracting features with every feature that you add because complexity is what makes your product unattractive for a new tier of user. And so what he says is that we, as, as a venture, makes a digital product. The first users are usually very tech savvy, you know, the, the early adopters, and they're, they have some knowledge of technology and they're willing to experiment with things. But as your product matures and you've, you attract more customers, more and more of these customers will be average Joes that will be scared by, by complexity. And so what he says is that at some point, you might have to remove features 
from your product, even if there is like a core user base that loves those features, just to be able to attract more and more customers that are less and less willing to dive into your product and, and all of its complexity. And that I found that counterintuitive. That's something that stood by me and won't easily forget that. Yeah. When you're building things, they're easy to see from your point of view, like, oh, well, I can just add this other thing that's useful, but then there's just so much hidden things. As in, it would be an onboarding flow of like 30 different steps and like, no one wants an onboarding flow. You want to just like get it straight away. If it's like five things, you'll flick through it quickly and you probably won't pay attention. But if there's more than that, like it's just not useful. So I certainly now I've been diving more and more deeper into some podcast apps. Like there's something like where people have asked me for a feature that they've never seen before. And then you can actually find them somewhere in podcast apps, but no one ever even knows they're there kind of thing. And yeah, stuff that's just like really hidden and it's kind of over-engineered. And like, it's fine if it's really hidden and like, I guess like the power users sort of understand it. But if it's, it's just like a thing that makes it more complicated then it's just sort of pointless, which is yeah, really hard to sort of really understand why people wouldn't want more features because you always think like more things are better but it's um something i've been learning is like you basically want to have like what is the core value that of experience that people get from using you and so if you think about like sort of instagram or snapchat it's like a very simple interface it kind of gives you like one main thing when you first sort of started using it and it's like trying to work out what that is for your product like what's the the feeling that someone's going to like go to come back to you and most of like the big things it's usually just one thing that that you can remember and that's what you want. And so you just know to go there for the one thing. If it's a load of different things, it's just confusing and not useful. So it's very hard to like really work out what the best thing is when you've got like a million people being like, oh, you should do this, oh, you should do that. Oh, I'd love it if my player would do that thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm not a master of <laughs> working through these things. It's got like an epic backlog of like all the million features that are amazing we would love to have. But it seems like we are gonna have to reduce lots of things. Yeah, I think that is something that he also talked about. What you said is that you should focus on your like core key competence and your main differentiator and relentlessly differentiate and, and make sure that that specific part is as qualitative as you can. And so he gives the example, I think, of, of Southwest Airlines in the US. And so airlines, they try to be safe. They try to give a good quality um, of services and they want to give you like many different directions or destinations to fly to. And so what Southwest Airlines did was they did not differentiate on the number of destinations. So what they did was they actually just focused on the Southwest of the US, which made sure that they could actually have a very high quality and obviously safety, but at a very low cost. And so they relentlessly went for low cost because they were willing to give in on the, the differentiating part on, on the destination feature. And so that's something I think that when you're developing your product might be able to take into account where there's some core key functionalities that you need to have, but there might be some others that are not really necessary. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think people are asking us for. And they're like, well, there's a different app for that. People aren't really using it that much. So we're just kind of going to nail this whole social discovery side of things. And that's it. Really focus on that. And then it also ties into one of the other points that he made, was, which was build a story before building a product. And I think you did that quite well because you guys had like a whole landing page with a whole story. And I know you worked quite hard on that. And especially technical founders do it the other way around where they envision the product from a technological perspective and whatever is possible from there, but they forget about the story. And especially from your early cohort of users, because your product isn't perfect yet, they use you for the story and not necessarily for whatever problems that you specifically solve. And that is something uh, I took away as well. Yeah, it's very hard to explain the story always in a way that people get. And so you kind of want to just build the thing so that they can then get it. And like, yeah, I mean, I had the idea like three years ago, sort of literally as it is now, and was telling it to people and people like, yeah, whatever. It took until about a year ago where like I was saying it and people were like, actually, I think I really want this maybe. <laughs> and then over the last sort of six months, I got better and better at it. And then 
for the last three weeks telling it to sort of invest in mentors like 10 times a day yeah it's, it's come on so much from before even and is that because of your storytelling yeah storytelling and like picking up on each time that you say it to people in different ways they might like not get it until a certain point when they ask you a question then you say like something like oh if you just said that first i would have got it instantly and so instead of wasting 10 minutes you say the thing that if you'd said that first they get it instantly and then suddenly it's sort of yeah it just kind of like aligns how you say it for people and it's pretty handy but it's still i still think we've got some progress to make in terms of i want to kind of do something like like, you know landing page optimization and have like five different pages with like different sort of messaging on them and see what people pick up on and like testing with the features and things because basically every feature you build you want to validate before you do it and then again after you built it which i think was in the lean startup where it says like after you build it you know validate it as a final step and then cut it out so before you even have like too many features you should be cutting them as you're building them kind of thing but you really want to validate as much as possible beforehand and i pissed off a few people in textiles who've who started building tech and i've been like yeah, so you could have just like not built any of the tech and just sent me like an MB3 of what you've done and like I could listen to it and I could tell you if it was shit or not. And like I don't need any of this sort of stuff behind it. And no, it's pointless without this other stuff. I'm like, but I didn't even know what the other stuff was doing. It didn't make any difference. All I heard was the thing. So why don't I just hear the thing? But it's hard for myself because I'm constantly like trying to build as much dev as possible. So I don't feel like I'm fully doing it quite as well as I should be but we have spoken to a lot of users over the last few weeks and yeah it's hard to know I feel like we basically just validated what I wanted to build in the first place but it has sort of changed a bit of my thinking but we'll see if we end up doing like a big pivot some of the companies on textiles have done some pretty big pivots and I think some have done some and starting to do some kind of thing but they have like a kernel of like the root mission idea that's sort of right but the actual way they're doing it it's a bit off I mean Snapchat had 34 pivots or something ridiculous I think really yeah I didn't know it's that. It's insane. And oh. there's a few other big companies that have some pretty big ones. Yeah, YouTube? Yeah. You used to be the dating site. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, there's some uh, very big pivots that like companies like that everyone knows and uses nowadays. So yeah, had yeah. some huge pivots in the past. Yeah, it's, it's the annoying one for investors where like they want you to kind of actually have the exact commercial model of what you're going to do and sort of have all the customers perfectly lined up and things. And then it's all kind of lying and stuff and you change things. That's the nice thing about textiles. They kind of expect you to kind of just, they just go for like smart people that have like a good mission as such. And then if they think that you're like a driven person, like they're happy for you to sort of have pivots. They expect like at least half a cohort to have a pivot sort of during the process. But so many people do raise funding to then kind of explore and work out that they're not doing the right thing to then change. But you can't say that you're exploring to work out that you're doing the right thing, even though that's literally what you're doing when you've got like the first sort of million because you, you haven't reached scale or anything. But they want you to sell the idea that, oh, scale is literally here. I've proven everything is going to be huge, but it's very hard. Although I feel like we kind of have strange. Oh, very true. All right. I think as you were talking about talking to users and your product features, et cetera, one thing I took away from the book, which I found very interesting was that product features can be classified on one side, engagement drivers, and on the other side, interest drivers. And so the first, the engagement drivers are small incremental changes that make sure that users use a product more, which is something that every venture wants. And then the other side, you have interest drivers, which are usually big or special features that get the users to give the product a try in the first place. And so these interest drivers actually, in the end, are not the reasons why people stay and they don't get used that often. And so one example of that is the um, HBO Go app. So HBO had a tablet app where users could watch series. And so I think specifically for Game of Thrones, they 
added like an interactive map to the HBO Go app. And so that was super special, super new. And so a lot of people downloaded the app and started watching Game of Thrones through the HBO Go app. But now like after a few years or months even, I think they removed it because it had achieved what it wanted, which was being an interest driver and getting people to download the app itself. And so afterwards, no one was using it, but they were using the HBO Go app. So yeah. Nice. Sort of how I felt what we've been doing with the app in some ways around people seem quite excited by the fact that they can listen at the same time as their friends and things. But then in reality, it's not like I'm really going to be on the app at the exact same time as you that much to like listen to the exact same thing that we want to listen to. But so it's more the asynchronous aspect. That's like the real engagement driver of being able to listen when you want to things that your friends also enjoy listening to. But it sounds more compelling, like the sort of the live thing. Although having said that, now that we've been using the app for the last few weeks, like I have had a few people listen to the same thing as me whilst I've been in the gym. Like I, I wasn't aware. And like they'll send me a text afterwards and like, we'll actually have a conversation about the thing. So it has kind of helped more than I was expecting. But I always thought of it as more of like a gimmick interest feature than the actual like feature that people should be using, which is interesting. But yeah, I've been reading sort of a hooked which goes through all of like the bad things that Silicon Valley and stuff does to like force you to stay engaged, but also like how you can use it ethically. And like, I do think there's quite a few cool things we can do around sort of giving people value and kind of getting them to invest a bit of time in doing something that creates more value for them, which makes them come back and use it but not using like sort of notifications of stuff that like give you anxiety if you're not on the app kind of thing. Yeah. So to give some context, Hooked is a book that describes how many new products make you addicted. And so it's true that you think that it's very unethical to use such kind of models. But then again, imagine that if you use that kind of methodology to get people to meditate more, for example. It's kind of, there's so much stuff fighting for attention. If you're going to be doing something that's good, you still have to use this. Otherwise, people aren't going to use it. And it's still the same overview of basically, if you want someone to use your app, they have to have a reason to use it like the driver. They have to like do something and get some value out of it. And they have to kind of invest some form of time in creating more value and reason for them to come back to it and set up like some future triggers for them to use it again. And again, doesn't matter what you're doing. You kind of need to have these things. Otherwise, there's no reason for the person to pick it up and start using it again. So you somehow need to get them into this like loop of being hooked and stuff. And might be a good book to read for us. Definitely. I, I have been making good notes on it as well <laughs> for once, like aggressively. Very good. Yes. Cool. Cool. Well, we can go much deeper into that when we read the actual book as opposed to now. Moving on. <laughs> One lesson that I learned was, do you know Ray Dalio? Yes. The Principles. And... Exactly. Did you read The Principles? Yeah. I ended up stopping. I mean, so many people say it's the best book ever. And I'm just like, this is just like one thing after another. And like, it all ties into the main principle of like being candid and stuff. And I'm forgetting all of them instantly. So what's the point of me reading some more things I'm going to forget? So I stopped. Yeah, you're not even going to discuss the book with me yet. So why would you even read it? Yeah, exactly. I'd read it again if we were going to discuss it. Yeah, because I, I have the book. I started reading it and I stopped as well because it wasn't really captivating me enough. Yeah, uh, I don't understand so I... all these people that like love it so much. I just, I don't know if they're using it like a Bible or something and they kind of fully remembered everything. And when something comes up, they're like, oh, so lesson 88. But I do really like the, the core principle and I liked that it was talked about in this book. So in, in the messy middle where I think what, I, have, I have a little quote for that. A good team does a lot of friendly front stabbing instead of backstabbing. And I think that is very powerful. And I think that's something personally that I could learn from because giving feedback to people, if you listen to very successful people and especially people that uh, work together very successfully, they're very good at giving each other honest and like neutral feedback. 
where when you give people feedback, they'll give, take it personally. But if you can find someone that you can give feedback without them taking it personally, I think that can be an extremely powerful thing to become better at whatever it is you're doing. And I think that is pretty much the core of Redalio's principles. Might be wrong there, but yeah, that's what I got from that. 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's an aggressive agreement with him. And uh, what's, what's ironic is that like, the person that told me to read it was the worst at this. And he was like, oh, this is the best book. I'm so good at this. And you're like, oh, you're so bad at this that you don't even realize how good he is. <laughs> Yeah, but it's certainly something I've really had a bit of a challenge with kind of working on with the team. But now I mean, my business partner, he's got so much better at it. Like initially, he just takes so much offense and like shout at me for like saying anything bad. He's just, I'm like, I've got to say this. <laughs> Otherwise, like, what's the point? As in, I believe that you can do, do better. Like, is this motivating? It's not that you're an idiot. And now he's, yeah, he's like, yes, I'm getting some bad feedback. Whereas I'm always kind of like pretty happy when I'm getting bad feedback. Because it's like, I know that I'm shit at so many things. And it's just like, a, yes, a better way that I, I can be good at things. So I'm getting the right mindset. Yeah. And if you're able to live in such an environment, I think it means that you feel comfortable. Because in the moments that I felt the imposter syndrome, where you feel like you're actually not good enough for what you're doing, if you're in that situation, if you're feeling that, I think it's pretty difficult to get negative feedback because then you might feel that you're being seen as an imposter instead of, of being rightfully there. And then like once, if you don't have a feeling, if you're really comfortable, I think then it becomes a lot easier to take negative feedback because you know who you are, you know what you stand for, and you know that if people give you negative feedback, they know that you can adapt and adjust your behavior and your choices and to become better in general. Well said. That's a really hard one, especially when you, when you do have some people that are a bit unsure to make sure that they don't feel imposter. It's as much a problem for yourself to give the feedback in a good way as in to try to, which is something I've been working on, but to try and like frame it in a way that you're like, you're on a really good trajectory. So the fact that you're not doing these things right is fine because you're going to do them better next as opposed to, oh, you just can't do this, which is interesting. And depends on how you sort of say things. I always kind of, because you notice so much more of like the things that go wrong. And so you're kind of trying to like make sure that you go and note all the things that went right as well and sort of that you are being attentive. But it's certainly if I've got like, if I'm running around all day doing so many things, I've only got like five minutes for someone. And so in fact, I want to optimize that for like the five things that they've done wrong in those five minutes and not like the other 20 things they did right. <laughs> and then, so it's, uh, yeah, trying to say these things nicely and motivatingly is a very good skill that I'm, I'm learning. Uh, use a, the shit sandwich. Remember that? Did we talk about that last episode? Maybe. Very shortly, shit, shit sandwich is known in, in leadership leadership spheres. When you give someone bad, some like some negative feedback, you, have to, you start off with the bun, which is something nice. And then you give the shit, which is, you know, the negative comment. And then you end up with the other side of the bun, which is something nice compliment, especially for not super experienced executive because they'll see right through. That's a good way to do these things. To give, to give feedback. Definitely. In Toastmasters, we had this formula. You get rated on your speeches, but then you have someone analyze your speech afterwards. And that's also like a competition. So the person that can do the best analysis for people's speeches. And they kind of had this formula for giving analysis of like two commendations where you celebrate what they did. Three recommendations where you sort of like, oh, these are ways that you could improve, but like still framed in a, in a very positive way rather than saying these are things you did wrong. And another commendation to, to wrap it up or something like that. But it, it sounds much more positive when you have commendations and recommendations as opposed to like good parts, shit parts, good parts. <laughs> but yeah, that's been a handy one. 
I wish I had more time to do Toastmasters. It's, it's really useful. I can imagine. And I think one example of the point that we're making is, I think he referred to Paul Graham. Paul Graham is a computer scientist and a, a very big venture capital investor. And so he said of Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, it's easier to tell Zuck that he's wrong than to tell the average founder. And so it's because Mark Zuckerberg wants to know when he's wrong. He's constantly analyzing himself and his assumptions. I don't think that he, especially when he's working, is ever insecure about himself or too insecure about himself. And he always questions his thoughts and his assumptions. I think that's the sign of someone who brings it far because you need to keep questioning yourself because the world is changing around you, especially in, in, in the tech world. Yeah, there's, there's been some people on tech stars that were like really bad at this. And, and you're like, yeah, you maybe have a good idea, but it's never going to get any better if you don't let your sort of assumptions be questioned and things. But it's been interesting how like the, the tech stars uh, whole sort of thing has started to influence them and change them a bit and that they've become more open to these things and growth mindset anyone can change so we'll see so yeah those were my biggest lessons do you have some specific ones that you well yeah i guess we didn't really go into like the main themes around like enduring optimizing and sort of like repeating and finishing as such yeah so for me i i really because it was so messy i i don't really like I didn't even remember that there were main themes. And like, if you'd ask me, what did he say about optimizing? No idea. So I think some of the lessons that I took away come from that part, but I wouldn't be able to say which ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a few nice quotes. So like, be frugal with everything except your bed, your chair, your space, and your team in terms of just be like as resourceful as possible and sort of see what you can do to make the most of what you've got. But there's a few things that will just really sort of help you, such as like, getting a good night's sleep, having a desk that's optimized to make sure you can just work concentration and like making sure that your team is together, which I think is just a really useful point to always remember because yeah, you can skimp on some things and I've let myself have lines. I've just been told by mentors like, Sam, you look awful. Why are you so tired? I'm like, well, I, yeah, life. And it's been good. I've, my, uh, my heart rate's gone down a bit more. I've had better concentration and things. Uh, I would prefer to go to bed early and wake up early, but for some reason that's not working. So I'm just having lions instead and that's fine. You have, you, are you having what, lions? Yeah. Well, I say lion, I mean like get up at like just before nine, but like I was getting up at seven. Ah, uh, lions. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. lion. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I was like lions. Is that some kind of supplement or something? Sounds like a good supplement. I probably need it. <laughs> Uh, sleep important we here have a great mattress i've invested in a white noise machine which is highly recommended if you live in a loud city like i do i also have this alarm clock that starts like with a small light and gets brighter and brighter as your hour of, of waking up like uh, gets closer freaking amazing if you wake up using that it's like you know you wake up with the, the rising sun i invested quite a lot in my sleep and i've been feeling great since i did so i always look forward to go lie in my bed it's amazing yeah nice yeah, I actually had a very, very nice like mattress topper thing on here, which I had to take off because I just don't like soft beds. So now I've got like a hard bed mattress that like maybe isn't the best, but that's more how I, I prefer things. So that's fine. One girl in textiles sleeps on the floor, like literally on hard boards. Really? Is, yeah. Wow. Good for her. I mean, she can sleep anywhere, you know, go to a party, can't be able to go home. Just there you go. That's one of the problems I noticed. So I have this white noise machine, which is a small thing that's, that does like the whole night. If I have to sleep somewhere and I don't have it, it's like super awkward because all the small sounds, you suddenly start hearing them, you notice them and you can start paying attention. And so very hard to fall asleep and stay asleep. Yeah, I just for literally like the last six years or something, I've been wearing earplugs and I kind of feel really stupid that I didn't wear them when I was younger. I didn't sleep a lot when I was younger always, especially when I was 
daunting to other people it was not good for my uh, abilities but yeah i kind of had to when i was going like offshore and sleeping in places that were noisy and then I was just like got back and was like oh wait i don't need to get woken up by the birds at like 4 a.m when they decide to go do things like just wear earplugs now <laughs> and then <laughs> felt really stupid for never doing it before which has helped but yeah i do find it very hard if i don't have earplugs even if i'm somewhere that's quiet just because of like i'm not used to like the sound of my breathing or like the sound of the bed as much as i used to be i have invested in a company called cocoon who do these headphones that like play white noise ish but like they sort of change it based on the level of your sleep to optimize it and like they're sort of wearable and they've just released these new ones because they used to be kind of like these but like shaped in a better way so it wasn't too bad but it still wasn't the ideal for side sleeping but they've done like like in-ear ones now that like basically super well fitting and it basically doesn't feel like you're wearing anything and it's like they're really really nice so i might actually be using them in the future which means that you kind of can just always take them with them and you can always have like the perfect noise for like the optimal that must be really useful yeah yeah sleeping anyway i think in general the takeaway for me is if you're spending a lot of time somewhere uh, or if you're using something a lot it's a good idea to make sure that it's really good quality i think that's the main point that he makes here yeah cool, cool. all right yeah so i mean well the big themes were sort of it's not just about like the idea and getting stuff kicked off and it's not about like the success at the end it's it's all about the middle where everything actually happens and it's a really hard road and you've just got to relentlessly optimize things and not get thrown off by things going wrong and just endure through all the hard times and yeah keep going repeat on things that are successful and eventually you'll reach the success at the end but you should be enjoying successes as you go along and it's a mess but it's the important part <laughs> which i guess was the theme of the book and it was good yeah starting companies is never easy so you have to get through the, the tough part as well so how, how would you rate the book i guess like a six because i think if i was to study it really well and this was like it would be better but in terms of how much it's going to impact on me and how much i'll remember it wouldn't be the book i would give to someone if they had to read one business book for example so yeah feel good at a six initially when i was listening to it i was planning on giving it a lower score than the book by ben Horowitz, which i feel like is a very similar book like they talk about the same things but i felt like ben Horowitz, the hard thing about hard things was like more hardcore really talking about the tough things you know you're firing your friends and all these things but then reflecting on it now i feel like i've there's quite a lot of interesting lessons that i learned and I don't really remember many big lessons from, from the Ben Howard's book. So I'm actually also going to give it a six because I think I gave the other book a five. And so I'll join you in awarding this book a six out of 10. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I didn't find this one so motivating, if you know what I mean. I, said, I did feel sort of empowered at the different points when it kind of means like, oh yeah, this is a problem that I have. This is going to be better. But it wasn't like a lots of oh shit moments or sort of feeling like, yes, I'm going to like quote the messy middle at some point in team meetings and like people are going to be like yeah of course this is why we're like, doing this it's sort of like a it's kind of good but yeah whereas other books you're kind of like yes <laughs> remember this this is what we're doing yes it's not as industry defining as uh, the lean startup for example yeah yeah cool all right that runs up this episode for uh, next episode sam and i will be reading high growth handbook by elad gil and so that talks about more about the scaling part of a venture so after the initial product market fit so after that, growing the company fast. So I'll see you then. Cheers. Thanks, man. Hey there, Nico here, your second favorite host of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Sam and I would like to get some feedback from you. So what we're going to do from now on is each episode, we're going to select one random comment from the past weeks, and we will give them a free electronic version of the book that we've just read. So if you like what we are doing, or if you don't like what we're doing, 
or if you have a comment or a question, just reach out and we might be in touch. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits, and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial, and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, And now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favor and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com. And I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website, wiserpod.com, or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning, and ideally, keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico, and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Wiser.